Hey, thanks for listening to the Bellevue Christian Church podcast. We're a church in Bellevue, Pennsylvania, where ordinary people are learning to live everyday life like Jesus. We believe that one way to learn that life is by engaging with an ancient but active collection of books called the Bible every single week. If this teaching leaves you with a question about the content or a story of what God is doing in your life, please send a message to hello at bellevuechristian.church because we'd love to hear from you. Good morning. So we're in this series called How to Wear a Towel. And in this series, what we're looking for is 20 people willing to wear a towel. Now, if you're visiting with us today, that's not something weird or anything like that. In case you're wondering, uh, frankly, I probably don't want to see so many people in a towel. And I'm sure you don't want to see me in a towel. When we talk about towel, what we're talking about is service. In fact, we defined as wearing a towel as, back up using your God-given power to serve rather than to be served, using your God-given power to serve rather than be served. And in case you're wondering where this idea of the towel comes from, it's from a gospel story, uh, it's actually uh, the, the Last Supper, where Jesus is sitting around with his disciples, and he suddenly realizes that all power and authority has been given back to him, that he's come from God, and he's about to return back to God. And he's got all this power, but he, what he does, he doesn't pick up a, a crown and decide to c- declare himself king. He doesn't pick up a, a sword and claim himself some sort of military victor. No, what he does is he picks up a towel and he washes the disciples' feet, which really becomes kind of a picture of why he came to earth. In fact, we, we read in, in Matthew where he says, Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. But again, a very clear picture that Jesus, by picking up that towel, was really trying to show why he came to earth to, to serve rather than be served. So we're finishing off this series. This is actually the fourth in the series, uh, fourth sermon in the series. And so far we've looked at what it's like to wear a towel in the community. And we also looked, like what it, looked at what it's like to wear a towel in the church, to serve in various capacities in the church. And last week we had actually a ministry fair where we had opportunity for people to talk to different ministries about the opportunities to serve. And we're going to have another opportunity in a little bit before uh, the offering to give you an opportunity to, to still sign up to be one of the 20. But what I'd like to do in the remainder of this sermon is really just talk about not necessarily what it's like to serve or wear a towel in the community or the church, but to really wear a towel as a part of your life, as a lifestyle. Because it's easy to kind of get caught up in this idea of service and if I, you know, of serving in the church or outside the church, you know, uh, the, the mindset that says, you know, if I, I served as a greeter or if I served as an usher or I served in the, in the nursery or if I uh, served at one of our partnerships, that I've kind of concluded what I need to do until the next uh, volunteer chart would come out. And that's, a, really have a feeling that that's not the way Jesus kind of saw this idea of service. That when he was using the towel, he wasn't thinking, oh, this is a one-time event or even a weekly event. What he's trying to demonstrate is that he had a servant's heart. That service was a posture that we are to take all through our lives. And Jesus could do that because he was really you know, wired for service. Again, we know that Paul kind of refers to him as a servant, talks about this idea of becoming a servant in his letter to Philippians where he writes, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God 
something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. Again, a very powerful passage that talks about, you know, Jesus was equal to God, and yet he was willing to put that aside, to not hold on to it, not to cling to it, so to speak, and be able to take on the nature of a servant. And so he has an idea of uh, service or servanthood that we do. And to be honest, you know, I speak it for myself and I'm sure for many people, is that service doesn't always come naturally for us because we are, a lot of us are not wired for service except for people who maybe have the, the spiritual gift of service. But I think for most of us or many of us is that, you know, when an opportunity to serve comes up, sometimes we feel a little kind of pushback in our heart that says, no, I really would rather not do that this time. You know, and some people feel a lot of pushback there. And this isn't just on Sunday morning when we're trying to get volunteers to work in the various ministries of the church. This is all day to day. A lot of pushback that goes on from any opportunity to serve that presents itself. But again, if we were to be disciples, which we would define as ordinary people learning to live everyday life like Jesus, and Jesus was indeed the chief servant, then it would make sense that if we want to be like Jesus, that we would begin to move our hearts in that direction, in the direction of servanthood. And you ask, well, how do we do it? And really, we do it like we do any other thing that we'd like to attain, any goal out there, is through discipline. In our case, we'll refer to as the spiritual disciplines. Now, I know last week I talked a little bit about, or a lot about, the spiritual gifts But I don't want you to confuse that with spiritual discipline. Spiritual gifts are basically uh, the things that are given by God, that given by God really at our our newborn, at our rebirth, when we're born again as believers, that we're able to use to minister to others in the church and to help build up God's church. And so it includes things like, uh, like mercy, like hospitality, like leadership, like teaching, like helps, and all these type of things that are considered spiritual gifts, again, that are given by God, received by us to do the work of the church. Spiritual disciplines, on the other hand, are just simply things that we can do to create space so the Spirit can do the things in us that we can't do on our own. And so spiritual disciplines would be things like Bible study, like worship, like prayer, meditation, fasting. These are all what they would call spiritual disciplines. Again, things that we do that create space for the Spirit to do something in us. And we're all familiar with the importance of, of discipline or practices to take care of the, the exterior life, the, the body life, that many people or athletes obviously know the importance of continuing to, to work up, to work out, to build, out their, build up their body. Well, that's really what the spiritual disciplines do for us, only they do it on the inside. So again, the spiritual disciplines just kind of create space for the Spirit, Holy Spirit to come in and begin to not shape our body, but to shape our soul. And really what it is is shaping us toward godliness. And we see that Paul kind of uses this analogy uh, later on in 1 Timothy where he writes, train yourself to be godly, for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Now, Paul's audience would be very familiar with working out and athletes and, you know, they were all into the games and all that kind of stuff. So he's using this, this imagery of an athlete to kind of talk about the importance of the spiritual life. And we, we all know that it's important to, to train yourself physically, although some of us may or may not do it. But we know the importance of doing it, especially if you're going to try out for something big. 
You know, if you're going to try out for a, 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 a half marathon or something like that, you don't just get up one day and say, I'm going to run a, run a half marathon today. I did have somebody share yesterday that they did say they were going to do that, and they did it without training, and they really paid the price. And so you're not going to get up in the middle of the, the day and say, or in the morning and say, I'm going to go run this marathon and going to be able to do it successfully. No, what you do, you train for it. And so, again, just what is true in the physical realm is true, even more true in the spiritual realm. So if you wake up one day and say, well, I've been pretty much a selfish person for the last 30 years, never do a a nick of serving, but today I'm going to go up and I'm going to volunteer, or this week, 10 hours serving at the church, or 10 hours down at Urban Impact or something like that. It's just, you're you're going to crash and burn. Because you haven't trained yourself, you haven't trained your soul to get in that position where you're able to, to do that. And so really that's what we're talking about here is the idea that you, you have to train, uh, you have to practice the discipline, the discipline of service to get good at it. And really what it involves is just getting in the mindset of service and then training your eyes to be able to look for opportunities where you can serve, responding to the opportunities as the Lord prompts you to it, and then leaving the results up to God. And the good thing about something like the spiritual discipline of service, it not only helps you become a better servant, to have a servant's heart, it actually does a good job of working away, working, uh, uh, trimming away or cutting away the parts of you that are not like Jesus. You know, for example, you know, if, you, if you're somebody that has an overflated uh, uh, view of self or uh, a little bit of arrogance or something like that, and you just say, this is bothering me, this is very prideful, I, I feel like I want to work on this, And what you do is you go serve in a place where basically you're an unknown. Nobody knows you. Nobody cares to know you. Nobody just even recognizes you. And that's a good way to serve to begin to to trim off this idea of of pride. You know, I think of somebody like uh, Jimmy Carter. I know when he retired from the presidency, he devoted much of his life and still doing it, I think, by working with Habitat for Humanity, where he goes and builds houses with people. And I guarantee, you know, he's working along just the everyday people. Well, and it, sure, they know he's the president or was a president. A lot of people probably just, at this point, don't even care. He's just, he's just working alongside. And so, again, that kind of keeps any sense of pride in check. In fact, I would say one of the best benefits of doing this uh, of service is, again, that, it, that it, works on the, it works off the pride. You know, that it helps facilitate humility. Because humility, although we say we want it, humility isn't something that we really can pursue. It's not like I'm going to go out and I'm going to be more humble today. And someday if I do that enough, I'm going to become humble. And the problem with that is when you think you became humble, you suddenly realize you're perfect or you think you're perfect, then humility is out the door. So you can never really achieve that. You know, I think about the song, anybody remember Mac Davis? What was that song? Oh Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way, Right? Remember that song, and then he goes, I like to get up every morning and look in the mirror because I get prettier every day or something like that. I sing that to Debbie every morning. She doesn't... No. Anyway, it's hard. You can't pursue humility, but you can serve. In fact, some people would say, suggest that the guy named William Law suggests that, that every day should be, a, you should, have, should be a day for humility. And he writes, he says, if we want humility... We should relieve other people's wants, receive their friendship, overlook their unkindness, forgive their malice, be a servant of servants, and condescend to do the lowest offices to the lowest of mankind. And this is from a book called A Serious Call to the Devout and Holy Life. I doubt if we all wake up thinking in that terms. 
But he's saying, again, it really, it, it comes by way of service. It comes by way of serving others. Again, that's where the humility comes from. So we need to be able to train in, in, in service. We need to practice the discipline of service and, uh, so that we might be able to work off the things in us that, again, don't look like Jesus. But having said that, it doesn't mean that we should just pursue service because we know there's something in us that needs to be worked out. You know, that's not the main reason, but it is a good reason. In fact, Dallas Willard writes, he says, not every act that may be done as, as a discipline need to be done as a discipline. I will often be able to serve another, another simply as an act of love, but I, I may also serve another to train myself away from arrogance, possessiveness, envy, resentment, or covetousness. In that case, my service is undertaken as a discipline for the spiritual life. So the spiritual disciplines, again, create space for God to do something within us. And so, you know, again, how do we do this? How do we approach this idea uh, of service as a discipline? The first thing is really having the right mindset, having a, having a Christ-centered uh, mindset versus a, a me or a self-centered mindset when it comes to service. And what I like to do is just kind of unpack a little bit what I mean by that by using a few examples. Uh, one thing that, one way that you know that you're kind of service, serving as a, in a, in a self-centered or a me-centered mindset is when you simply just pursue the big acts of service. You know, what some would call the, the big deal, the supersized acts of service. In fact, Richard Rolf Foster wrote the book the Celebration of Discipline, writes, self-centered service is impressed with the big deal. It is concerned to make impressive gains on ecclesiastical or the church scoreboards. It enjoys serving, especially when the service is titanic. True or Christ-centered service finds it impossible to distinguish the small from the large service. Now, I don't sense that a lot of people have this idea that they're only going to serve if it's a big deal. But I have to admit that was really my mentality because I like to do big events, big events that raise a lot of dollars, big events that raise a lot of volunteers, uh, big events that get things done. I just like that. And that's, uh, I think I, I was good at doing that. But again, what's my mindset? Is it to, because I want to serve others or do I want to serve my ego? And, and, and really somebody who's really serving with a Christ-centered mindset is just as comfortable doing the big deals as the small deals. That's the point being made. It doesn't mean you should avoid the big deals, but just check your heart to make sure uh, you're not doing it for the wrong motives. And something related to that would be a self-centered servant would be doing it just for the rewards that he or she gets from it. You know, there's a lot of rewards you can get from service, you know, especially in the corporate world. There's all sorts of uh, plaques and, and piece of paper certificate, uh, certificates that you can get, things you can put on your resume. You know, there's a lot of rewards that people get from that. There's, nowadays, it's rewards that some of the younger people get from just being able to post on Instagram or Facebook or something and say, hey, look at me, look at this cool thing I'm doing. Those are all acts, those are all rewards that they're doing the service to get, to get those rewards. And again, it, we should be comfortable with doing the hidden things just as much as we're comfortable with doing the things that, that are visible. Now, again, don't get me wrong, because we're not supposed to necessarily go out and say, I'm going to avoid the limelight at all costs. It's not that. It's, again, just be comfortable with the things that are out in the open that gain the applause of the crowd as you are with the, the things that are hidden. Because when you think about Jesus, you know, Jesus was always doing big things, or most of the time we see him doing big things, whether it's multiplying the loaves and fishes or 
calming the storms or casting out demons, those type of things would attract the crowds and attract the applause of the crowd. But he, wouldn't, he wasn't out there seeking that out. He was just walking through his life and dealing with the opportunities that came before him, whether they're the big things or the small things, whether the things that were visible or the things that were hidden. And that's just, again, the attitude that, that we should try to develop. You know, again, don't seek it, but just go through life. And if it's a big thing, fine. If you have the opportunity, if it's, a, if it's not a big thing, if it's a hidden thing, that's fine. If it's not a hidden thing, it's just, again, don't seek those type of things. And another thing that's kind of related to all this is that sometimes self-centered servants, they're looking for results, very tangible results. And if they don't get the results, then they might be a, a little bit bitter. You know, the big thing on Facebook now is if somebody has a need out there, you find this need, and well, I'm going to set up a GoFundMe account, and I'm going to raise thousands of dollars for this particular cause. Again, a good opportunity, but what happens if you, sh- if you go to sh- make uh, $5,000 and you end up getting $50? And so the person that sets it up, what are they disappointed? And again, they're looking for, they're trying to measure the results. Or they organize an event where they want to have 100 volunteers and end up with 10. And they get disappointed with the results. The focus is on the wrong thing. Or in some cases, you know, they're looking for something that, as simple as a thank you. And the person doesn't give them a thank you. Actually, maybe they even respond in some sort of an indignant way like, why didn't you give more? And I think I told this story before when, this is several years ago, and I just tell it for purposes of illustration. There was a, there was a family that came into town and they were struggling a little bit. It was the middle of winter and their son was just starting, or was just starting in the school and all he had was tennis shoes to wear and the parents wanted to be able to get him some good shoes because he had to take the bus to school or whatever. And so I got connected with this family and they told me that again, that they needed shoes. And so in the middle of the middle of night, later in the evening, it was snowing out. I remember meeting them down at the red, white, and blue. And I showed them the shoes, and I said, just pick out any shoes you want. And after a few minutes, they talked back and forth, and they came to me and said, you know, we'd rather go to a real shoe store. We don't want any of these shoes. We're going to take us to the real shoe store. And that was kind of like a hit in the gut. You know, you want to just smack them back and say, what, what, you know, what's going on here? And then another story that's kind of funny is that the, or sad, is that uh, I have a good friend, some of you know, uh, named Jose. He lives in Louisville, and he's very generous, just a serving heart. And he's a businessman, but he was, out, he was out of town one time, and he was, just got done with a great big meal, and he's leaving, and he sees the homeless people under the bridge, and he's feeling convicted. I just had this big meal, and they're, they're not, they don't have anything to eat. So he runs around town trying to find a grocery store that's still open, finds a grocery store, find, gets a bag of groceries, and this big bag, five-pound bag of apples. And he brings it to the people under the bridge, gets back in his car, and a guy comes over, brings the bag of apples. He says, you know what? We really don't want your apples. We don't eat apples. It was like, okay, that's nice, you know. And so, again, you just want to throw the apples at them and say, take it. But if you, again, that, that's easy to get your heart hardened with those type of examples. And I know there's people in here that have done similar things and got the similar results, and it hardens your heart, doesn't it? It makes you not want to serve anybody because of the attitude. But the problem is, again, that's a self-centered attitude. It's like, how did that affect me? Again, as we've been talking about this whole series, you know, surrender the results to God. Whether they like it or not, whether they accept it or not, whether they thank you or not, just to surrender the results to God. And then another example of self-centered service would be choosing who you will serve. And, and I think if we're honest, we all kind of have preferences when it comes to service. 
You know, there's some people that would just go out there and serve the wealthy people or what they would call the upper class people because they have the ability to pay back. So in other words, if I scratch their back, they'll scratch my back at some time when I need something. And then they would say, well, the people that think they're more noble, they just serve the people below them. You know, they serve the people that, that, that again, they, they feel that they really need it. And in some sense, what they're doing is they're elevating themselves, saying, I need to serve you because you are below me. But at the bottom line is they're making a choice who they're going to serve. There's people that will serve only certain people of certain color or certain ethnicity or certain political affiliation. Because, again, they want to choose who they serve. And the problem with that, again, is that that's not what Jesus says. Is Jesus says, you are to be a servant of all people. You are out there serving all. And so, again, it's not just the poor that need service. It's the rich that need service. It's not that the Democrats or Republican thing. This is not a political thing. It's a heart thing. And Jesus says, be a servant of all. He said, if anyone wants to be first, he must be very last and the servant of not just a certain class of people, not just the poor, not just the rich, be a servant of all. So if you've got part of your heart that is not right, then you need to practice the discipline of serving all. Serve outside of the, of the, of the realm that you would normally serve in. And then finally, the idea is that sometimes self-servant or self-serving servants, self-centered servants, just do it when they feel like it. In other words, they base their service on their feelings, their whims. And some people say, I don't, don't feel prompted to serve, you know. I don't feel like the Holy Spirit is prompting me to serve. And then, but the reality is there's a lot of people that just get so self-centered on their problems, whether it be financial problems, health problems, relationship problems, and on and on and on, problems after problems, that they just don't even think about serving anybody else. It's because they're so inward focused, serving anybody else doesn't even come to mind. But the reality is the greatest remedy for your own problem is to going out and serving somebody else because it takes the mind off, off of you and puts it back over on somebody else. You know, if you're, ever, so if you're ever struggling with, you know, oh, I can't make my car payment. I can't make my cable payment. My cable payment, I can't, I can't pay my house payment. Well, then go out and serve somebody that doesn't have a car doesn't have a house, doesn't have cable. That'll fix you up real quick. Because again, the problem is we're too inward focused. And so Jesus doesn't say, wait until you feel like it or you're ready. No, the remedy again for self-centeredness, for self-focus is going out to serve somebody else. So these are just examples of how you get in the right attitude. But I remind you that you're not going to get there overnight. This is hard. This is part, again, the discipline of serving. You know, you're not going to nail it down. In fact, you'll be lucky if you have the right attitude in, in one out of three times. But that's good. In fact, what I told you before is that, you know, if we're talking about baseball, you know, somebody who has a 333 average, they get paid pretty well. In fact, I did some research and I said, I said how many people in the, had a lifetime average, batting average of 333 or more? That's hitting the ball one out of three times. Only 30 people. And who was number one? Anybody know? Who? Musel was 30. No. Not that you guys get it. You're supposed to be the smarter crowd. This is this thing. Ty Cobb, there you go. Good job, Marilyn. Hey, Marilyn. What'd you... I think she looked it up. 
Marilyn, Marilyn. <laughs> She's right, though. Ty Cobb. And I've totally lost my place again. Where was I at? What did I just talk about? Okay, yes. So, yeah, so again, that's a good average. So when you go out, just it's fun just to kind of watch that. Go through your day and really try it for a week and, and go through mentally, think about all the opportunities. And if you pay attention, you'll see a lot of little bitty opportunities that you can serve in many different ways. And then measure at the end of the week how well you did in responding to those needs. And this is where another discipline that I love is called the prayer of exam, and I don't practice it enough. But the prayer of exam is nothing magical. It's just at the end of the day when you're laying in your bed or the first thing in the morning, whatever you want to do it, is examining the last 24 hours, like playing the film strip of your day through your brain and seeing all the interactions you had throughout the day and then seeing the opportunities that you had to serve and, and recognizing, gosh, I didn't do so well. But you may also see that, yeah, I, I did okay. I got, I got one out of three right. I did good. I can celebrate that. But again, you'll see that you're not going to get it right, so don't beat yourself up. But that's not, so, so not getting it right is not an excuse for not serving, is what I'm saying. Anyway, so those are, again, some, some, some mindset we need to get into. But then what are, you know, what are some things we can do to serve and make it a lifestyle? Again, there's dozens and dozens and dozens of ways that we can serve on any given day too many to really talk about, but I thought I'd leave you with kind of a handful of ways you can serve that maybe you haven't really even thought about, and they're really actually quite easy. The first one is you can become a servant by allowing somebody else to serve you. That's strange, isn't it? You know, sometimes, you know, we have people, we have people, especially in this church, that are so gifted in servants, service, they, they will serve anybody. But if you try to serve them, they'd be like, Peter, no, you're not going to wash my feet. You know, no, no, no. And you know what? That, that is a, not a service. That's a disservice to the person who wants to serve you. And really, it's a form of arrogance. Say, I can serve you, but you can't serve me. So what you're saying is you're on a higher level. So everybody can serve. And again, an act of service for the people that are wired to service is to allow yourself to be served by somebody else, even somebody at a perceived lower status. I've told this story before, but this is back in the 90s when I was living in Portland and, and I was in seminary. And we were struggling, my first wife, Dane, and I we were struggling a little bit financially. You know, we had ups and downs because we were self-employed. And I remember just really having one period where we were just struggling for money. And my wife, Dana, she said to a friend that we really are struggling this week. We don't have any money and our ice machine broke and we can't afford to get it fixed. So about 6 o'clock at night, I'm sitting there on the dining room table doing my homework, probably doing a paper on spiritual disciplines or something like that, and a knock on the door, and, and this young lady, Shannon, shows up. She's got a, a bag of ice and a wad full of cash and says, here. And me, knowing that Shannon and her family were poorer than us, we struggled, but they always struggled, I said, no, no, I can't take that. And she looked at me, and she started crying. I didn't know what to do, so I closed the door <laughs> and went back to work on my paper. And my wife had been standing there, and I'd been blessed with two godly wives, you know, in my life. And she was said, you know what? You're proud of yourself, Chuck? You're really proud of yourself, but you just did. You robbed little Shannon of a blessing. Did that make you feel good? 
So I felt like a dog. I didn't know what to do. Couldn't finish with my paper. So what did I do? I got in the car, went to her house, knocked on the doorbell, said, I'll take the ice. I'll take the money. Just give it to me. Let me take it, you know? And it was because, again, it was arrogance on my part of not allowing her to serve me. Because it was really thinking, I'm better than you. You cannot serve me. And so, again, the way you can serve others is to allow some people to serve you. Another way, this is another way that we can do right here in the church. You can serve another person by protecting their reputation. You know, churches are, are gossip bins, I don't know how else to put it, you know, where people like to talk, and we're all guilty of it, I'm guilty of it, we like to talk a lot, and sometimes we disguise it, we close it, you know, clothe it or couch it in prayer, biblical language out of concern for somebody else. And what happens is sometimes it gets out of hand, and before you know it, you've got gossip that's turning into spiteful or slanderous comments. And there's nothing that can destroy a church faster than gossip and slanderous churches, or slanderous words. In fact, there's an 11th century monk that says it like this. He says, A spiteful tongue strikes a deadly blow at charity in all who hear him speak, and, so far as it can, destroys root and branch, not only in the immediate hearers, but also in all others to whom the slander flying lip from lip to lip is afterwards repeated. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's just it's such a description of how gossip and slander and spike can, can hurt. And so again, if you want to be a service to others, if you find yourself in a situation where it's, you know, back and forth and somebody's being, you know, slandered or spoken with in a very negative way, then you can serve the person in a hidden sense, by saying, oh, stop it. I'm not going to be part of this. You know what you need to do? You need to go, and you need to go directly to that person and deal with the issue. In other words, you need to deal with, you need to follow what we call the Matthew, uh, the Matthew 18, 15 principle, where Jesus says, if a brother or sister sins against you, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. I remember when I first got here, we had to sign a covenant. I think, Gary, you were here when we had to sign it. That's the first paper I had to sign was a covenant, including that covenant was saying, if you have a problem with somebody, you go directly to that person. And it's a good rule. We've kind of, kind of fallen to the wayside a little bit, but we still try to do it. It's like, if you've got a problem, go directly to the person. And you can stop it because a lot of times it's just a, a misperception. I'm one that always believes if you can get two people in a room, you can solve pretty much any problem. But yet what happens is, no, people just get the gossip mill going or they leave the church and they never tell anybody why. And again, this is the kind of stuff that destroys the church. And so you want to wear the towel with somebody else, guard their reputation. Another thing is just basically learn to serve others by just being a good listener. In fact, Richard Foster writes, the first service that one owes to others consist in listening to them. The first service. Think about that. You think, well, I don't, you know, listening to somebody, you know, but I have to admit, again, myself, I have to admit that I'm not always the best listener. And I'm sure there's other people, if they're honest, can say, you know, I'm not the best listener either, you know, and, uh, you know, there's others might say, you know, I'm a good listener. I listen all the time. And my response is, well, you might listen, but you listen on what's called level one. You know, you're kind of listening, you're sitting across somebody, and we all do this, and, and we start looking at the texts that go off on our phone, or, or we start looking across the hall at what's, who's over there, or our mind starts wandering. We're not really listening. 
So we're listening at a very, very superficial level when really we should be going to a deeper level of listening. And this is where I can put a plug in for this thing called, called coaching. Some of your experiences is the thing, if you've gone through the training of coaching, you know that 60% of the ideal, 60% of a coaching conversation is, is the coach listening to the person. Really, it should be as high as 80%. It's very high, and it's a very hard skill to do, especially we have people that can't do it. They just, talk, they just love to talk and talk and talk. And in fact, in coaching, we use what we call the weight principle. They ask ourselves, why am I talking? Because we're so used to talking, and we're not used to listening. And again, we're not used to listening at the level that we should be listening to. We listen for words, yes, but we listen for the words and how it affects us. And then so we begin to formulate our mind, how can we use those words as an argument against them, to come back at them? So we're not really listening. See, but listening, real listening, level two listening, means that you're not just listening for words, but you're listening for emotions. You can feel the passion that comes out in somebody's voice. You're looking at their eyes and saying, Ooh, your eyes are watering up. You're listening at words or repeated words. You notice they use the word fear a lot or they use whatever. You're listening for them. So what happens is you're not just listening to them. You're listening with them. And really, eventually, you're listening for them. In other words, some people can't even hear what they're saying. And so by you listening, you're entering in with them in this partnership where you're, you're hearing what they are saying out of their soul. And now you're in a position to help them. And it's a very, very powerful thing that small percentage of people get in the world on any given day. Really, really listen to you in a very real way. And again, you can wear a towel, but just learning to be a good listener. And finally, it's a, a, a way you can serve others. It's just by simply carrying their burdens. In fact, Galatians, Galatians 6.2 says, Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. The law of Christ is, I think James talks about it being the royal law of love. And so, again, you want to fill, fulfill the law of love, you basically carry out his burdens, which means that you are willing to walk alongside somebody when they're struggling, when they're going through a health issue or addiction or, 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 or a mental health issue, whatever it is, you're coming alongside, especially you're willing to walk with them as you walk, as that person walks through the shadow or the valley of the shadow of death. That's what it means by carrying burdens, coming alongside. And again, this is not something that you're going to master overnight. You're not going to get up someday and say, oh, I'm just going to go out and carry somebody's burdens. You can't because you'll quickly become burned out. You have to learn. You have to train. But again, Jesus is the example. Jesus carried the whole weight of the world on his shoulders, yet he could say, that his burden is light. He goes on to say, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. What he's saying is, when you're out there on your own, you're not going to be able to do it. The yoke is the idea of, again, a yoke was a wooden thing that would keep two oxen together from wandering off. So he says, You put my yoke on you, and then we'll be together in my yoke and my burden is light. So the burden that you were carrying is now my burden and my burden is light. So if you're out there doing it on your own, bottom line, you will get burned out. Learn to walk, listen to Jesus when you're trying to carry somebody else's burden. 
and listening to the Holy Spirit, knowing how you should respond, and pretty soon you probably will find that you're not only the person you're ministering to, but your burden will be lifted up a little bit higher. Anyway, so that's kind of a, a summary of what I'm going to talk about today. Again, we've been talking about the idea of getting 20 people committed to, to service inside or outside the church. And we know that everybody's not at a season they can do that, and some people are already serving. That's perfectly fine. It really is. But I suspect that even if you're doing any of these other things, you know, you can do one of these things that, that I've mentioned. You can pick one, and you can, today you can become a better listener. You know, you could do all these things today. You could do a number of these things or at least begin to deal it. And again, it starts with uh, the idea that you have a right attitude. You have a, a Christ-centered attitude towards service instead of a me or a self-centered attitude. It means opening up your eyes and being aware of all the opportunities to serve throughout the day, even if you have to go home and you have to think about your day and train your mind to identify the many, many, many avenues of service you, that are available every single day. And then you just got to take the risk and jump in and do a few of them. And you'd be surprised. You know, you do it, and all of a sudden, over time, you're practicing service. It gets a little bit easier, and over time, you find that your, your heart doesn't give that pushback as much when you are approached for an act of service. It doesn't push back. It begins to embrace a little closer. And you find that over time, you are actually learning to live everyday life like Jesus, including taking on the very nature of a servant. Let us pray. Thanks for listening. If that teaching moved you or left you with questions, let us know by sending a message to hello at bellevuechristian.church. And be sure to subscribe to this podcast for a new teaching from us every single week.